0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lost Explorers. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris and Chris, how are you doing this evening?
1: David, I'm pretty well. I'm really proud of my damaged spaceship house out on the mountains in the coyote wilderness of Boulder City. We have taken a hammering, a hammering of rain and darkness. And I did a little thing in my class today because, you know, I mean, Vegas is famous for beautiful perfect weather, particularly at this time of year. Well, we didn't have it today, did we? We had 13 million car accidents and a lot of surf, you know really slippery sliding stuff. So I did a little thing with the group of how dark is it? Well, we started, it's darker than the inside of a cow. It's darker than the last dinosaur. It's darker than, and everyone got into it. It was dark and miserable and rainy. And just difficult but we persevered. So how how is it in Oklahoma?
0: Mm. Mostly clear. We oh, haven't
1: oh, your good. weather yet. Oh, good for you. Um, good for you.
0: But your weather will be coming. It will be coming. Yeah. It just takes a little bit of time to filter out here. I've been seeing the uh, bomb cyclone uh, stuff that's been affecting California. So this is part oh. of the- Bomb cycling, yeah, yeah right
1: yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah and it really I mean I think bomb is the good word it it um it came in with uh just an absolute a fury uh, an Air Force level fury uh that was really quite stunning to see and it's fun if you're like oh, excuse me hunkered down and and safe and warm. But if you're out in the thick of, of weirdo traffic, uh, it ain't so good. You know, it just ain't so good. So, yeah, be be careful. You know, it was a thing today. It really was a thing.
0: I believe it. I have been teaching Jurassic Park. AWP is coming up the next couple of days. That'll be exciting. Kansas city, city, yes. Kansas City, yeah, where apparently the weather is uh, much colder than it is here. But uh, we will be going there to attempt to sell some books and to make our presence known because we've been sort of off the radar for a few years. So we're back. Good. Everything is back.
1: Everything is back. Well, I hope that's fun and safe. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the last time I was at AWP was in Minneapolis and it was. uh, Oh,
0: some time ago then.
1: Yeah, and that was uh, really interesting. It was real blizzard sort of weather and uh, and things that was kind of pre a lot of the turmoil that Minneapolis has been through since. And it was a really good vibe despite the cold. Did uh, you and I hang out? Because I was there.
0: I was there for that one. Did we link we up had... there or no?
1: I don't think we did, David. I mean, I, I, I would have remembered that. I mean, really That's weird.
0: I was there. I had a really good Vietnamese food while I was there. But yeah, I don't recall us connecting. That must have been before we were kind of regularly speaking, which how long ago was Minneapolis AWP? Let's look this up.
1: 2012 or something, 13. I did a gig at the Loft, the Writing Center, and I did a big gig uh, off campus, so to speak, at- twenty fifteen.
0: 2015.
1: 2015 oh geez okay well that wasn't that long. well yes it was it yes, was It was almost uh, 10 years yeah <laughs> don't tell me i know it's starting to get 2015 was a big year for me a lot of things went you know uh both really well and, and really sideways and then i uh headed off to well africa and back to new guinea and a whole bunch of other places so it was
0: was that south africa that you went
1: to was that when you had that, uh, that residency? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. But the then, same uh, one that, that Cameron went to, right?
1: Yeah, he was there sometime. Well, uh, he and his wife were there sometime like a, a before. Um, oh, okay. okay. But I really, I, you know, the thing is, I, I, uh, I dig in, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I mm-hmm. really dug into that whole culture in a way that um, – I'm not sure they quite did. I mean, I I was playing music with people every night. I was, you know, uh, arrested a couple of times. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. I really, I feel still very deeply connected with those people. I'm still part of the faculty there. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It it was a big deal. Uh, What
0: university is that? What is that called?
1: Rhodes University. Rhodes, okay. Rhodes University. It's very controversial still. But they're in Grahamstown. Uh, but I then did a whole big thing in, in Cape town. Lisa came out to visit. We did, uh, safari stuff. I went out with the anti rhino poaching people and camped out with them for a week. Um, and I'm still in, I I sponsor a female leopard, uh, who's in mm-hmm. a closure <laughs> there and I still, I get wonderful notes, uh, from one of the anti rhino poaching dogs uh of course it's her zulu uh handler who's writing Mm -hmm. but i i still feel you know feel very much a part of that whole scene you know Um, excellent that's awesome
0: that's awesome now do you have a band and an aphorism for
1: us i do and i think this is um I want people to imagine this as uh, a really beautifully graphically presented. The the name of the band is simply preface, but graphically it is preface, which I think is a really odd, interesting, beautiful idea. I'm really breaking down words, and I'm finding this enormously successful with my students. Of really, really hammering home, you know, distinctions between prefixes and suffixes. Preface is something much more interesting than preface, you know, and it's only the accent that makes us lose it. But their deal is, uh, and their album is called Overtures and Undertures. They are robotics and AI developers who use technology to create and fabricate instruments, which they then have to learn how to play. And I think this is maybe where uh, the future of music will, will actually go, that we're not going to be just endlessly manipulating synthesizers of various different kinds. It's tremendously interesting. I, I don't know. I, I was visiting virtually all of the uh, major music techno festivals lately. And I was thinking to myself, this is what AWP and writers festivals don't have. They don't have hot chicks and they don't have cool gear. You know, no, no. <laughs> you know? there's no gear, you know, and and really that's where so much action is. A lot of that gear is superficial uh, and, and there's no question about that, but it's fun and it has some glam up front and writing has got to get that back. But I think mm-hmm. that the idea that AI and robotics will invent instruments that then humans can play in an acoustical, physical sense, is an exciting idea. And I think I'm out in front of that. So that's my idea. That is very
0: cool. That is very cool. What's your aphorism for us today?
1: I found myself staring at my computer keyboard, searching for a character or a symbol that doesn't exist. And I think that's kind of a, a dreamlike.
0: Sporkesian.
1: Yeah, it's it's really it is. It's it's the Zahir, you know, it's the Al- you know, it really is. And I think we are looking for these symbols that we do know that there are ancient and and beyond time. And we just aren't really sure of them, but they do appear from time to time and some of our street people sometimes shout out those words, you know, those names of gods that we've forgotten, you know, Uh, there's a wonderful dude. Who's just, he's out there. He really is. He's just, he refuses to be, you know, broken down by the rain. I saw him this morning and he was shouting, you know, words of Rongo Rongo, you know, the undeciphered East mm-hmm. Island language, uh, some ancient Bantu tongue, you know, they're, they're the, the bodhisattvas that Jack Kerouac talked to us about. And I think those people are real and and we are looking for those weird symbols that we do know and that, you know, they're coming back. They never disappear entirely and they never translate very clearly either. We just got to stay more alert to them, you know?
0: What do you think is the mechanism of delivery of these signs, symbols, sounds that get passed from person to person in spite of culture forgetting about them? Is it genetic memory? Is it something more uh, spiritual, perhaps? Like when when the homeless man who is speaking rongo rongo and is touching on these symbols where do you think that
1: knowledge comes from well i think that he's more in touch with with the dreaming state i think that his distinction between dream and consciousness is a little bit more uh old school so to speak Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think he's so it's a... ambient.
0: It's it's ambient in this kind of uh dreaming Wi-Fi that we're all ghost really radio
1: consuming. signal. It's it's our yeah. it's our core yeah. idea of ghost radio signal that yep. somehow this is 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 never entirely out of out of frame, that it's always available. It's just a question of tuning in. And mm-hmm. some people are tuned in. He has a different receiver set. Uh he's both a transceiver and a transmitter he's a little bit more open about being a transmitter on that front than, than many people feel comfortable with. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's ambient. It really is. There's no, it's
0: like a speaking in tongues type thing. People who are speaking in tongues are kind of getting that. Have you ever received Rongo Rongo?
1: Well, I do whenever I see him and I I hear him and I think to myself, that's a resonance that I can understand because Mm. there is a resonance Mm. to it. There's, there's not, um well I don't dismiss it as complete gibberish. I hear mm. it as music for starters. It's very difficult. Yeah, yep. yep. It, yep. It, it has a semantics unto itself. But I mean, the memory listening exercise for my class today was hokey pokey winky wom palico pinky muley, cum pansy rum down in the cannibal islands. Now that's an old ch- you know children's song, rum. And the kicker is the course that you you have a lot of of musical jumble nonsense to the point of down in the Cannibal Islands. And it's that collision between the semantics and the pure music sense, Mm -hmm, you know, kids' mm -hmm. music sort of idea. And I think what he does is is reverse that. And I think that our Rongo Rongo speakers around the world, I mean, there was, he reminds me of someone I met in Calcutta a long time ago, and um, I had no idea, no idea what language he, this person, was dealing with at all. But I'm not sure about that now. I think, I mean, I, I, I can tell you the takeout. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it helped me make sense of 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 the nonsense of Calcutta. It was a sense instrument in the form of something that I didn't have any other way to process. Yeah. So I think that the, that's what these people are doing. They're somehow rechanneling a lot of very confused and conflicted information signals that may not in any way make sense in a linguistic way capacity, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but do so on other levels that bring together music, pre-linguistic cues, and also, I think, psychological tone, because, I mean, the key thing is that they're Mm -hmm, not um, mm -hmm. the people that I'm thinking about, although they may be street level and on some sort of schizophrenic spectrum, in the moments that I'm talking about now, they're not hostile they're positive. They're, 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 they're kind of sharing their AM radio, uh, which is just not everyone else's AM radio anymore, you know? Uh, but it, it's a good vibe. As yeah, a, as I do. it. People are just shouting, you know, and being, mm-hmm, angry, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. just not very helpful.
0: What is my imaginative challenge for today?
1: Okay, well this is again a, a real life story from my past, which I I hope that you will really enjoy. It's uh the theme is you can't call back the dogs. Okay, and at one point my uh late business partner and I hit a, a bad debt. We we really we were pretty, you know, skillful about not getting over committed to clients. But this client seemed very reasonable. And we really got very invested to the tune of $80,000, which is a lot of money to us then. And there was no payment forthcoming. Oh, I did this one. Did you?
0: I, yeah, I did this one. I had the whole uh, kind of setup of there being a... Um... Oh, uh, bring my friends in. And, and we we kind of you did make too,
1: a... David. You did, too. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my. Well, oh, uh, OK. Because it's just this just came up again in my life because I. I, For for people who may not have remembered David's mm-hmm. version and I just for a moment didn't either. Uh, just the the quick story is we ended up hiring not knowing uh, a kind of irish hitman yeah. who was completely insane and mm-hmm. might have just taken out like everybody we'd ever known so mm-hmm. it was a question of yeah you can't call back the dogs okay well on that note we're going to shift around then and go to another kind of story I want you to imagine yourself being a little bit more like my age rather than your age and you are in a situation where you know things are getting a little bit cold and wintry and lonely and you decide to engage some professional female support and you find that you engage with someone you know a little bit better than you thought you did. The long lost daughter. And not only that, but she has some issues from the past that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So you need to do a backtrack because obviously engaging her sexual services are inappropriate, but not only that, you've now got a whole reemergence of a past that you have to deal with. And I think you should think of it in terms of really uh, trailer level Oklahoma, you know, maybe motel level Oklahoma. But not nice suburban English teaching high school, Oklahoma, something a little bit edgier because you you've you're slumming it a little bit to hide some things. And yet you find the past emerging. I think the past emerging is one of the great themes in all of American literature, but all of literature, in my view, you know, you can't escape the past. So. She's pretty, but she's effectively your daughter or stepdaughter, and she's not just on her own that you can just go, oops, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. There's more to it than that. All come right. so back. All right. I like it. When did we do the other one? I can't remember when we did that.
0: We did that one about so, three weeks ago.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. About three weeks ago. Because well, remember,
0: it, I the, the the way that I did it was that I had to set up uh oh, a fake a do. fake murder I, massacre.
1: I, okay, I do remember. That. See, you yeah. well the problem is you you do such a beautiful job of moving beyond these premises that yeah. it's uh yes. Uh mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. but that came back in my mind for various other reasons. But we always have something up our sleeve. So that's oh, good. yeah. This
0: yeah, is also can, part of what we're doing is, you know. Yeah. Uh, let me make one note. All right. Cool. Let me pull up your note. Thoughts on waking. Mm. The surge of dreams into early morning consciousness. We've been talking a lot about education of late and the insurmountable problem of getting kids interested in reading if they aren't already. Ooh, man. Tell me about it. Yeah. Two two clear thoughts have emerged. One, I think the tired, but all too accurate metaphor that American society is an allegory of high school jocks, cheerleaders, druggies and criminals in the making nerds, disaffected subgroups, etc., is becoming more concrete and congruent with each passing year. The only new element I see is the school shooting, telling. But as I was thinking about reading in this context, I realized I don't recall learning to read myself very well. I vividly remember the discomfort of learning to handwrite, same, absolutely, print and cursive. Good. The, the pencils always seem too big for my hands. What I do recall about early reading is that it meant independence. I didn't have to rely on my grandmother or older sister. For me, reading was an expression of masculine self-determination, stepping out from the females who both dominated and positively directed my young life. How many people today would see reading as an expression of masculinity? How odd. Only a short while ago, our most important poets were men like James Dickey, James Wright, and W.S. Merwin. Those days seem long ago. I like this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I do link the ability to read with agency, and I've told my students that much too. That if you can sit down and actually read, you can self-determine in a way that you can't if you are a constant TikTok slave. But I really like this connection between fatherless homes and people Mm. who don't read. Mm. There is something about the dad, the wash the dishes, go out, mow the lawn. There's an element of that to reading as well. A chore type element, but we're not using chore here in a dirty word type context, but a discipline a thing that you sit down and do and that you get enjoyment from, but whose barrier to entry requires a kind of discipline that children are completely lacking right now. Completely. If it's not immediately entertaining, if there's not bright flashing lights and some kind of social media component to it, they don't, they don't care. And To stick with the kind of gendered framework that we have here, uh, that feels very anti-masculine. And by that, I don't mean that it feels feminine, but it feels very weak, very limp-wristed and spineless, that you need to be entertained. I don't think that you do. I think that you need to sit your ass down and open a book. And read the words. In that way, reading really—and it, it, it's so funny because literature, as we know it, has been so taken over by women. But reading does feel masculine to me.
1: It certainly used to for me, and I—I I think you know probably for both of us because we are male. But I, I think that what you're saying in terms of just somehow entertaining kids. Yeah. And and really, that's a kind of babysitting program, right? As right. opposed to encouraging independence, and and really, age. I mean, I I I really, from the very start when we we really, you know, began the podcast. I don't know, nearly two hundred episodes ago. I mm-hmm. particularly enjoyed how you use the term agency. It's not you, you know, obviously unique to you. It's it's a common thing, but. I liked how you applied that because I think that to me that was a really important part of my younger life and it was re- it really hinged on a few key activities and reading was one of them and and to be able to read my own books for myself and to make some choices about that um, I don't know what i would have become without that and yeah. i don't know i certainly don't know what you would have become well i do know what you would have become i think mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. we, i think there were some glimpses of that along the way that and i think that you were um it was easier for me to see that in you than it was for me because you know as as it always is but i think that yeah. i don't think we would have come to a good end i no, think, that, I, don't that, think so I think that in, in a very very clear way reading uh has saved us and mm-hmm. i think that it is something that that is capable of saving a lot of, of young people and we're losing a lot of young men this. i mean this is our young men are not reading the way you and i used to as as we started and this is a terrible crisis for our civilization we're not going to recover yeah. from this unless we turn it around
0: yeah, and I've been thinking about different ways to present this to kids. Um it's really hard to convince a 16-year-old that they don't need to be entertained all the time, that they should be doing something that is not entertaining but is rather enriching instead of, you know, staring at their phone. So I've been kind of collecting clips from the internet about uh the um uh, I know it's the cingulate cortex, but there's a, the anterior cingulate cortex, which is a part of your brain that deals with pain and that also uh, experiences pain and sends pain signals to the body when you're doing something difficult. That could be a chore. It could be reading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the anterior cingulate cortex also grows every time you do something that is difficult to do. And recent studies have shown that people who live past the age of 80 into old age have an enlarged anterior cingulate cortex, which means that the ability to do things that are difficult directly corresponds to a kind of will to live.
1: It's what keeps you going. you know that that's not at all surprising, is it? When you think about it in those terms, I think that's very well said. And i i I think you know to sort of journeying back to the notes, there's there's a, a really important connection that I make between reading and an early work. I'm I'm immensely, um, I'm both very proud and very grateful that I started to work so early in my life, and I was given mm-hmm. that chance. I'm very concerned about the the lack of young people uh, working in my community. Um, I, I at my supermarket, there are no checkout chicks. There are people there are women seventy years old on their feet all day. I'm not mm-hmm. seeing teenagers working anymore. Um, but I think to pick up, you know where um because there was a, a connection between reading, And I think a really interesting analogy that I put forward um, that in the notes that it's – I make a connection with a bicycle. Oh,
0: would you like me to read it?
1: Yeah, I think I would, David. I think this is important. Um,
0: Yep, can do. The second thought to reveal itself from this stream was the bicycle. I used to ride my green Schwinn three-speed to a bookstore in a strip mall to purchase the next Hardy Boy book I hadn't read. One rainy day, I realized I'd eventually run out of Hardy Boys, so I feverishly began creating my own deeply imitative series, The Benton Boys. My real private passion about writing came out of fan fiction. I openly borrowed characters. I just didn't want to run out of story. I paid for the green bike myself with the money I earned cleaning toilets and vacuuming floors for an industrial di- dry cleaner starting at age 9. The job gave me more than money and work ethic pride. It was a place to be after school in the strange days following my violent rape in the fourth grade. The green bike was what I needed. The rape would never have happened if I'd had the if I'd had a bike. I made a major correction of reality. The Hardy boys entered in And then the Benton boys reading plus green bike equals independence.
1: That for me was the biggest thing that ever happened in my life. And I'm really proud that in a sense, I gave birth to that myself. I really do think that I, um, and I think this is true of all of the people that have interested me the most in my life is that, whether we've been well-raised and looked after and loved and cared for, uh, or abandoned, you know, whatever, I think somehow there's a capacity for self-invention. And and this was really fundamental to me, and I I do take some credit for that. I'm also very grateful for, you know, just the larger uh, well, the gods, the animist magic gods that allowed me to do that. But I mm-hmm. think that this is where reading and independence and self-determination and going back to the rongo rongo speakers on the strange streets of las vegas or vienna or wherever uh, somehow that's part of the whole deal of just finding this world of independent possibility and, and being able to navigate it with some grace and, and some joy. And, and I think that people who embrace reading, in certainly in an American culture sense, have so much more potential to reach out to the larger weird world. They get more satellite dishes, you know, so they're hearing more signal. They're more part of the world. And I think of like a beautiful sort of, Like, you know, someone will sit to me like, well, you can't see grass growing. And I looked out of my window in Australia and I saw these all the African daisies that I hadn't mowed. They all just suddenly opened up one morning, exactly 1030 when the moisture had sort of, you know, dried from the sun. And I thought those are like little beautiful satellite dishes just tuning in some whole thing. And. This is what reading opens up for people. And it's about a bigger picture of independence. It's about a bigger picture of of connection and mixing yourself up with the world and and being able to say, well, look, I'm gonna revise the boundaries between myself and the world. I'm not gonna seize on independence in an individual sort of fashion sense. I'm going to seize on it in an independent navigational sense, you know, and that's what we want young people to get with. And I'm afraid that if you go past a certain age, that if you don't have that happening, you're done. Yeah. I'm afraid that I'm afraid yeah, that's true. I agree.
0: No, I agree. Do you, what would you say to somebody who responded to that with, well, Mr. Sacknessum, what? First of all, what about reading is so special that I can't get it from a Cliff Notes summary? If I can understand the story, then what does it matter if I actually read the book? And then, secondly, is it important that I get, that, that I am reading something that, is not immediately gratifying to me by that i mean something that somebody told me to read is that a part of it and how does that tie into agency how how do how do i have agency if i am reading something that has been assigned to me
1: well the first thing i say to people is to always think really really structurally you know i mean i i ask my students do they have a private space to read, a chair and a good light, you know? I mean, I mean I've mean, i got a really nice chair and a good light. I mean, that was the thing that I, I think that's privacy and a little bit of determination of your own mm-hmm. environment. This is what we found when COVID hit, you know, there were some a whole bunch of people, oh, surprise, surprise who they were. They didn't have any privacy to do Zoom communications. They didn't have an environment they felt proud of or they could control. It was noisy, Mm -hmm. violent Mm -hmm. and strange. They couldn't keep pace. Well, really, is that a big surprise? I mean, we knew that. We knew that. So it's part of, of that being able to control your own environment. I ask a lot of young writers, do you have a way to comfortably, without embarrassment, somehow create an environment where you can dance around naked. And a lot of people don't. And I said, well that's a little bit of a clue about your personal sort of environment. If, you know, if you have any space at all that you can just freak out a little bit, you know, and just be expressive in a purely improvisational physical sense, maybe you can have some space to do that imaginatively on paper or, you know, via dictation or whatever. But structurally, people need to have some agency and control of their environment. And if they don't, uh, if if there's someone shooting up, or you know, uh, their their doors being broken down, well, you know, it's it's a little bit hard just to to maintain concentration. And I think that we need to really look at that. Everything is structural, as an embodied architectural, you know it's It's very, very physical. No one is doing anything creative, intellectual, cognitive without some security. They have to have that, and we we can't deliver that for everyone. You know? And what would
0: you say to the question about, well, if somebody's assigning it to me, if it's something that i is it important that it's something that i want to read or not or is that distinction irrelevant so long as i'm doing it
1: well i think that comes down to the trust in the person recommend i mean i i always say recommending not assigning you know mm-hmm. um but in in a in a school context you do assign
0: you have you you kind of have to so, from a strictly teacher perspective, can you get the same results from being assigned something that's going to be for a grade?
1: I think that comes down to the spirit and character of of, of the student. Some people are just really just lost from the get go. You yeah. know, they're just so alienated, and they really don't belong in school. I don't, know what, I don't know what the future holds for those people, but for anyone who has any faith in adults and leadership and maybe a larger system, to use a terrible word, if they want to get ahead in life, then they might have enough faith to say, well, I'm going to give this a go and just have a look. Maybe not everything will work and not everything needs to click. You know, it's a lot about education is just throwing mud at the wall. What makes things work? What what interests students? You know, mm-hmm. someone may mm-hmm. not have any interest in reading The Great Gatsby or Jurassic Park, but they might be interested in, you know, certain aspects of biology. You know, they might be interested in certain mm-hmm. aspects of whatever. I think mm-hmm. you've got to just take that. That's a a question of age group mm-hmm. and level of educational system you can't expect everyone's going to get onto it but if you hit i think if you hit 10% you know 10% of people who go yeah i'm in that i'm in that i mean you're not going to get 50% of people interested in music 10 if you got 10% someone going i get that i get that that's a harmonic structure okay.
0: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, You know, that's really cool. I mean, that's a huge, so some of that hinges back on, on the teacher morale that you need as a teacher Mm -hmm. to -hmm. feel like you're doing your job. Uh, but I, I think that between two and 10% is really strong.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. All right. So reading and a bike gives a sense of independence Let's continue from there. Oh, internet, come on. Um, In the time I've been formally back living in America, I have seen exactly three, three teen kids on bikes. I live now, not in a suburb, but in a proper small town of a kind that's hard to find anymore. Still no kids riding bikes. The streets and parks are curiously empty of them. The mountain tracks behind my house, same thing. America is becoming more a locked-down middle school, but I realize this deeper problem with young folks is global. I recall now living many of these same, uh, having many of these same thoughts in Australia. Why weren't kids out playing and adventuring? What more could any kid want in the landscapes in question? Reading, like adventures, is perhaps permanently out of style. I reckon the reason is that kids don't seek independence now. They have video games and streaming services to disappear into, to hide in. If there's any prosperity or good parental care, too often the kids run the family. Who seeks independence from their good parental care? Oh, wait. Who seeks independence from their butlers and maids? Yeah, yeah. If if the families are ordinary in money terms, the gang conformity program has already kicked in in some way. Kids want group, and the group isn't out on bikes anymore. I'm not honestly sure all kids know how to ride a bike. Analog to reading issues. No one wants to leave home anymore. I've noticed this. I, even when I was a kid, Chris, I mean... We all had bikes. Yeah. And we had these two great oak trees that had a zip line between them. And we would go back and forth on that zip line for hours. And mom didn't know where we were because we didn't have phones. So we'd be out on on the zip line. And we had a BB gun, a 45 BB gun that looked for all intents and purposes, like a real Colt 45, like, that doesn't exist anymore.
1: No. Well, think of that wonderful abandoned house next, you know, where back in uh, uh, near your old residence, you know, I mean, you just have to go explore that if you were a kid then. And now nobody's doing that. I mean, ruined buildings, abandoned mines, you know, anywhere that looked dangerous at all. I mean, that's where, people my age were like we couldn't be kept away you know it's like you got to be kidding you know um and, and we would have fun you know just jumping off a roof why well because the adults probably said we shouldn't you know and i think this is a real thing of like well maybe we're just not rebellious enough anymore um but I think this does tie back to the reading issue in the sense that a lot of us found strange reading material, you know? We've we found mm-hmm. like William Burroughs and, you know, a whole world of sort of avant-garde. I mean, where is the avant-garde now? We've talked about this a lot. I mean, I think that... We're, we're missing out on something very fundamental and I'm not sure what has replaced it. I think you would know better. I think video games to some extent, uh, but I think some of those sound more interesting than I'm willing. You know, I, I just don't have the direct exposure to it and I kind of missed it generationally and it's, you know, I've got other things to catch up on, but I wonder if, we've somehow lost the drive to independence. And that's where these notes end up because I think that there is a thing where post-World War II, growing up, being young, uh, being sexually active, being uh, cool, meant breaking away from your parents and defining your own culture. And we're still in the throes of that. We we don't know what to do about that. We, everyone wants to be younger than they are. And no one wants to be the adult. That's kind of what's ended up happening. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm glad to see, I, I think you've got some, I, I think you're gonna be a tough dad. And I like that. I think you're gonna be a leadership. I already dad. am. Yeah, I already dude. am. Well, I really like that. I really like that. I had one of my best friends. uh, His dad ran a soft water company, which meant you sold sand and salt into filter systems. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. you you dredged out those things. So Mike, my friend and I would go haul the stuff back and put it in this huge, giant vat. And his dad would get us to do this work when we were obviously deeply hung over on a Saturday morning. And he would favor <laughs> that anguish and pain <laughs> of us just absolutely grueling over it. Try
0: not to throw up.
1: Yeah, it was just absolutely <laughs> bad. Fab- and it was it was an order and a system. That made sense. It brought mm-hmm. together things that were really beautiful. And uh, my first major girlfriend was Mike's cousin. Uh, she pulled off my swimsuit in the, you know, the the town pool. We would mm-hmm. go to 4th of July and watch the mayor riding a buffalo. And there was substance and order to the whole system. And everybody knew when you stepped out of line because people were stepping out of line all the time. There was yeah. no question about that. There were infidelities. Yeah. There were also, there were shootings. It, it was all sorts of stuff, but there was a corrective mechanism that comes Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, you're hauling and you're salt over. Yeah. You were in the salt, you were in yeah. the salt and the sand and, mm-hmm. and grinding it down. And it was, it's kind of like the song Stormy Monday, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is a, a kind of a balance that I think a lot of middle class, working class people had in mind for a long time of all colors white, black, brown, anyone, you know? And we need to get back to that. But I think our thing is that the way out of the salt and the sand is through reading. Yeah. and you know, language, literacy and numeracy. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's no no stones thrown at people who are in the salt and sand their hole. I mean, that they, you know, that's a good lot. We need skilled tradespeople. We need more of that work ethic, absolutely. But I think that the idea of, particularly for young males, the idea of reading, it I mean it really is. We're on the edge of losing. Mm -hmm. An entire generation of people. And what's different, I think, now, hugely different than when I was, say, your age, is that that generation is defined across races.
0: Mm -hmm. It isn't Mm -hmm. just
1: white people at all, or white people and black people. It's everybody. It's everybody. And if you can't really read vigorously and enjoy that, there are certain structures of thought that just never, never open up for you.
0: Yeah. You know, what you're talking about feels to me like the first question that you would ask somebody is when you are by yourself and you're on your phone, do you feel alone or do you feel like you are around people? But that question in particular doesn't really get to the heart of it or not. When you are alone, do you feel supervised or unsupervised? Okay, supervised is the important word here because when you're at school, of course you're supervised. That's the nature of being at school. But what the bicycle and the reading seems to me to be is unsupervised time. Yes. Because when you're on that bike, your place is, there's no adults there. You might be in an abandoned cotton factory and you can do whatever the hell you want when you're there. And when you're reading, you might be reading something that you're not supposed to be reading. There's no supervision. And I think that the agency that we're talking about, (laughs) the spirit of adventure really comes down to, I don't know, no matter how much they might fight you to the contrary I don't know how many people from about my age, late thirties, all the way to children ever really want to be unsupervised anymore.
1: This is, I think the big question, you know, and one of my favorite f- like, phrases of all time, Indonesian uh, tends to repeat, you know, things. Uh, so Jalan, Jalan. Is yeah. A-
0: Jalan, Jalan. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's a wonderful phrase. I use it a lot. And I think it's, the desire to be sort of walkabout, to be independent, to not have a plan, to be window shopping, to be adventuring, just to be, you know, y- you don't have supervision. You're not mm-hmm. on the leash, you know? Mm-hmm. You're off leash. When
0: you're reading, you are always off the leash. Yeah. Especially when you're reading independently. But even, And I feel like this is what connects the assigned reading, that dirty word of assigned, with reading for fun in both cases when you're in the thick of it doesn't matter whether it was assigned or not you're unsupervised nobody's holding uh, your hand
1: i went back to um lawrence lieberman is still alive um he was a very fine poet and headed the university of illinois press he wrote a really fine book on people like James Dickey, James Wright, and W. I mean, he's a male writer back when that was still really cool before the whole transition happened. He wrote a really great book I recommend to people, which is still very available, called Unassigned Frequencies. Mm. I think that's a nice tie-in, and it's a nice tie-in to our idea of the ghost radio signal that, I mean, we're not saying that, that female writers aren't really interesting and important, uh, but there was a this idea of the unassigned quality of reaching out to, and a lot of the great female writers who came along were people who really dug into that and went, yeah, you know, that's kind of cool. Something that wasn't assigned.
0: So mm-hmm. unassigned
1: frequencies by Lawrence Lieberman. It's still a really powerful anthology.
0: I like that. I will check that out. Um, we got one more paragraph here, which I will not leave off because um, we'll get into our imaginative challenge and the tool and the tip here soon. But now put this into the larger but still focused context of American teenagers since World War II. The theme is entirely about independence from the family. Unsupervised time, maybe. Think of the three key technological aids. The phone in the bedroom, often more for girls than boys. AM Top 40 Radio, the car. These were the coming of age tools that created independence and were all predicted on or predicated on the bike. If the smartphone is the culprit, why did this tide begin turning so far in advance of its market appearance? Did the tool create the neuroses of today, or did neuroses inevitably find the tool of its expression? Well, you know which one I think.
1: Yes. Yes. You know which one I think.
0: Yeah. The neuroses found the tool. Yes. Basically. Um, I, As a believer in ghosts and demons and spirits that have agency, that want things, I think it's easy to see that the phone is just the vector through which these things that wanted to get in, that started with supervision, eventually found their perfect um, panopticon
1: tool. Oh, nice, nice. Well, I'm really glad you said that because you have been a very, very fierce critic of the smartphone. You see that in your your own students and teaching all the time. Yes. But I, I do, I think it's really important for you to sort of articulate that for our listeners that this is really an example of the ghosts and demons finding mechanism rather than the mechanism somehow creating the ghosts and demons that's not how things work it's not
0: how it works it's not how it works at all it's it's always been there yep the smartphone existed in rome yes it just didn't have the ability to manifest in the way that it wanted to it was waiting for 2020 or 2007 to manifest and then once it did now I, I would this.
1: like to do a just a really sh- you know short course weekend workshop with you taking that across to some people because I think there are some people who really don't quite see that that could mm-hmm. see it. and I think it's because I, I think that's well said. I absolutely 110% agree. And I think if we get people understanding that, we'd get a lot more understanding of a lot of things that are going on. Mm-hmm. That should mm-hmm. be one of our goals, I think. It it yeah it really is exactly as you said it the smartphone mm-hmm. existed a long time ago
0: yeah yeah it did it did it just didn't have a body yet no. we've been we've been building its body for the next 2000 years and we finally built its body and now it can finally run free but what that also means is that we did that there have been this, there has been rather this unbroken chain of servants whose whole goal is to facilitate the building of the smartphone.
1: Yep. As far
0: back as recorded history, I think.
1: I I think think it's just a really interesting way to, you know, know, the the kind of people who would really be into this Thinking are the late Buckminster Fuller and Edward T. Hall, mm-hmm. who an anthropologist who you know really put Edward Hall ideas would for sure of of extensions and the fact yeah. that that our technologies kind of take on a life of their own. He he would really really get that, and I think that's so important that and it kind of undoes or revises a lot of our our timelines which I Mm -hmm. think is one of the most helpful things that we can all do to our sense of culture is to really, yeah, there are some timelines that are kind of fixed. There are things that do happen in certain orders, but on the other hand, I think that what you put forward is something really important that, that really there were prototypes, prototypes going back. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a really weird, it's like running the film backwards. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's an uncanny feeling, because when I say that, when I say that the smartphone existed in Rome, people who are tuned in get what I mean. Yeah. People who are not will quibble. Well, no, it didn't. There were no smartphones in Rome. But people who were tuned in, when I say that, they
1: immediately know what I mean um this ties in with so many of the things we we started off talking about with remote indigenous populations who are apparently you know resistant to technology whether western or asian i mean they would go well wait a minute we, we didn't need any of this i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are you kidding we had that technology here you know in, mm-hmm. in our in our heads in our spirits in our dreams you know uh we don't need all this uh, these things that run on batteries, you know, that need to be recharged, you know, no, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very, very interesting. I think that's a, uh, and it's a humbling way mm-hmm. for technology. Humbling societies. is a good word. Yep. We need <laughs> to get back to this to think, well, wait a minute. Have we really invented that much? I'm not so sure. I mean, I really, I don't, don't think we invented anything. I don't think well, we not in anything. terms of communication, I really I mean uh, let's talk about communication over great distance. I mean the the Australian indigenous people, I mean I think are are tremendous examples of that.
0: They use telepathy,
1: yeah, and it's so fundamental to them they go, what are you talking about? It's not magic. Yeah. it's just what we do
0: if you if for listeners, if anybody doubts that telepathy exists, indigenous Australian people. 100% are telepathic 100% and it goes vertical and horizontal
1: by yes the way. it does yes it does um it, it's so ingrained they're they're not able to really uh abstract it or articulate it into any sort of system that anyone can else can understand because it's as fundamental as vision or hearing
0: yeah yeah how do these tribes communicate with each other across vast expanses of land? How do they know to do certain things at certain times? Telepathy. In the
1: groove, in the groove you
0: know. Yeah, it's... They're in the groove, bro. Um, So for my imaginative challenge.
1: Yeah, this is a good. <laughs> I, when, you, when
0: you brought this up, when you brought this up, I have to give a little bit of a backstory. There was a girl who I knew when i was about 17 in a biblical sense and she and i got it in a lot and there was a moment about probably 15 years ago that i saw her in the mall and she was pushing a stroller with a kid
1: Ooh. And, I,
0: and i had to do a like a real double take <laughs> to be like does that is that does that look like me? But so this is based oh, on her. Yeah. All right. Um <laughs> So in 2003, this main character begins seeing a girl who lives in a trash dump. Her dad runs the local landfill. So she lives in this kind of landfill situation. He's an enormous man with huge hands. And I remember very specifically sitting on her bed and a pile of trash coming up to the window outside her bedroom and an empty tube of Crest toothpaste sitting at the very top of that heap. Now, I would go over there because, and this is how she got me to come over there, she doesn't have a gag reflex uh, so that was very interesting to me at 17 years old.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I meet this girl, this this prostitute or whatever, and it turns out that that's my daughter and she's the mother. Um, but it turns out there is something growing in the trash heap in Cash, Oklahoma. It has eaten the father-in-law and the mother has disappeared into it. So I follow my daughter into the trash heap where I learn more about her, her mother, and the thing that lives in the trash heap. And because it's me, there are also Yakuza gangsters in this trash heap who are looking for a lost hard drive that is loaded with Bitcoin. Absolutely loaded. One of these, you know, somebody threw it away, didn't know what they had, and now it's in there. So what follows are a series of scenes where I get to know my daughter uh, and also uh, action encounters with the Yakuza and also esoteric trash puzzles, which my daughter and I solve in order to get to know each other and find that Bitcoin hard drive. But I'm thinking of a very mysterious, just, you know, we move from Puzzle to puzzle to puzzle to puzzle, probably using one of those giant magnets for one of them to move uh, a a lot of trash out of the way. But it would essentially be a father-daughter bonding story in a literal trash heap. I mean, the metaphor is right there. Uh, It would have action and it would also have uh, some fun puzzle solving elements to it.
1: I think you are ready for AWP. I think you've got the good wind at your back. I, I love it. I love it. I think that's really exciting. I think you've embraced some really crazy, wonderful things. And you've introduced, you know, some things that that I really wouldn't think of. And I, I think this is what we're hoping for. Uh, well, from all writers, but what I'm hoping for from younger writers is some things that I haven't thought of. And, and some things that, that connect to me in some way, of course, but I'm reaching out to it. I've got some, you know, I've got some pretty strong tentacles, uh, but I, I want to hear some things that are as interesting as that. So I think mm-hmm. you're setting the bar high and cool. I think you're, you're going off in a really good, good frame, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's how we do out here. That's how we do it here. Do you have a tool and a tip for us today? I do. I
1: do. Uh, the, the tool um, follows up on something I have mentioned before. I, I, I think I said, you know, if for people who use their bookmark uh, facility to check that out. Um, but what I did is is really do a cross-reference of uh, I went to clean out all my autofill email addresses. Mm-hmm. And there were tons of them. And I, you know, I, I started to go through and I thought who are the Higgins? You know, this Mm -hmm. couple from, I, I kept running into all these names I had no idea about, none, no idea whatsoever. Whereas all my bookmarks, bar three out of like, you know, 150 seemed to be really fresh and interesting. And I thought, well, those are things that are really interesting to me. And so That got me thinking of the difference between things that are assigned, I suppose, if you like, to go back to our earlier metaphor frame, and those things that that are things that we're pursuing of our own interest. But I did hit an obvious thing, that structure, architectural structure, in terms of alphabet. Is worth really investigating. I mean, you might not be surprised by this because your initials are JDO. Mm-hmm. You might not be surprised that J is so prominent mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a focal point. I was surprised. I was immensely surprised. I was I was battling through a Congo Everglades swamp of J's to get you know through it. Mm-hmm. I think we forget how these structures impact on our lives. I mean, I'm still, you know, asking students how many letters in the in the alphabet and I I do get the answer 26, but they have to think about it for a moment. And we really don't understand how that fundamental structure determines so much of our thinking. Sure, you know that, that x and, and maybe Z, you know, no, are not gonna get as much action, but it's surprising what does get action. And I think if we start looking for these structures that, that really impact on our thinking, uh, they're, they're quite amazing. They're mm-hmm. all over the place. They're often very powerful because they are so seemingly invisible. But Mm -hmm. rediscover the alphabet is my tool. You will be amazed at how that determines your thinking. And my tip is invite some people over for dinner. Mm. It may be expensive. It doesn't have to be. But do some old-time hospitality and uh, it's very difficult. I mean, I had to, I, I really was quite embarrassed. I used to entertain all the time. I mean, when, when I was married in Australia, it was just, it just seemed very natural. It just, I, I really was quite shocked at, at how, um, I don't know. It was confrontational. It mm-hmm. really was, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think it's something that's important to do. And I think that for people, um, you know, maybe for people who have young children, as in your case, I, I think just be sociable without trying to be pretentious. You know, mm-hmm. obviously that's financially difficult. I'm not talking about that level. I, I hope that goes without saying I'm not talking about that level, but I am talking about and I'm talking to myself. It really challenged me to go, yeah, I've, you know, let I used to do this all the time. Uh, it's a little bit harder, you know, now. I don't know why, but it's worth doing. And, and if you give it a chance, some interesting things, you know, happen. And I think that one of the things, I mean, if if I lived in your town or if you lived in my town, we'd be doing this all the time. Of course. Yeah. And, and I think that we've got to try to get back to that and just be simple, but sociable, you know? Mm. It, it it doesn't I have like to that. be fancy. It doesn't have to be fancy. I like that. I like that for sure. Yeah,
0: I, um, <clears throat> I would love to do that because Rios is getting so good at cooking. Mm. She's making such like she makes these crazy dishes and she squirts, you know, lemon on everything. And it's got this really unique flavor. And I have thought to myself recently, it would be cool to just have people over like come over try to do, do that very often do we no absolutely not
1: okay no. so see i'm I, i'm 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 saying something that's important i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know why this is so difficult today but i think we've got to let's make this a lost explorers thing i've just invite uh, a friend or a couple over mm-hmm. uh, just mm-hmm. somebody a neighbor you know it it, it I know it's I, I'm I'm speaking to myself here. I know it's difficult. I really mm-hmm. do. But mm-hmm. I think it's worth doing. I think there's a lot of fun that could be had. I think we're somehow cutting our 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 own feet off here by not yeah. doing. I agree. I agree.
0: And have you been dreaming?
1: I've had a massive round of dreaming, David. I really have. I feel and Me I too. I, have you?
0: I have yeah.
1: Oh, well it it's I wonder if it's the season. Um but I am hoping for a uh yeah th- this is a little a bit of an extended thing and it cuts back into uh waking life and I I will uh ask for people's indulgence cuz I I'm, I'm really something something is up here. But I was working for some law enforcement agency like Interpol, but the scenes were entirely American. I'd set up chain-link barricades around various convenience stores, which people had broken through in their cars. These people became my suspects. I'm not sure why. I then infiltrated a series of very comfortable, tasteful homes, presumably theirs, not mansions of celebrities, but lovely older homes in established neighborhoods, the homes of educated, cultured people. Strong color motifs, very rich appealing blues and greens and deep dark browns of leather and wicker, burnished metals, totally at odds with the idea of driving through the fences. I'd just gotten out of one place and climbed over a forest green solid metal fence when I encountered Charles Manson, looking even smaller than he was in real life, wearing a purple and white windbreaker and another much taller guy who reminded me of the geeky Australian actor Bruce Spence. The neighborhood had grown much more rural since I'd arrived. One black and white police, SUV visible, but I couldn't make out the city or town's name on the vehicle. Manson and the Spence character invited me more forcefully than I liked to join them for Thanksgiving dinner inside. All the trees had gone winter bare now, and any grass was dry white, more like summer. I wanted very much to get back to my car, which meant scaling another of the metal fences, this one the color of an expensive red wine. Fortunately, two other figures appeared. One was dressed in a somewhat ridiculous giant chicken or turkey suit, Manson and Spence accepted this as completely unsurprising, and I gather that this was some kind of annual tradition. A second figure was dressed in a kind of pantomime costume and was attempting to juggle foam rubber versions of women's breasts to comedic effect. This also seemed completely expected and part of the world of the dream. I took heart that these two clown figures might give me the distraction I needed to get away. As I felt myself waking, leaving the neighborhood and the realm of the dream behind, each of the colors I'd noticed seemed to come to life as planes I needed to walk through. I woke up intent on consulting my dream index to see if the theme of colors as life forms had ever entered in. Nothing quite as explicit and nothing at all like this for some time. And I do have an addendum to this, which is really quite odd, which if anyone, are we willing to listen to an addendum? Because I think it really is quite odd
0: of course i want to throw one thing out real quick which is a, right. a a wine red fence feels to me very much like a nervous system a passing through a kind of oh, bodily that's a barrier idea a bodily barrier that then reveals clowns juggling tits there's something there i just wanted to put that pin in before you oh
1: i love that idea i think it's very interesting to bring that to life as a nervous system idea see mm-hmm. this is I think this is why if we have the courage and if if we are indulged by our friends to share dreams in that um, dream theory of Malaya sense, we can often find some some real connections. Uh mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that, David. I um well, here's the addendum which which will I think really throws some things open because this this confused me very much and it was I had to really, uh, it took me a while to get my head around it because I, I I honestly put it out of my mind. When I'd come fully awake, I flashed back to a waking moment from earlier the day before that I clearly tried to put out of mind. I'd been in town wandering around, Jalan Jalan, nice fun time, taking photos, enjoying the sun, A woman in her late thirties, early forties was playing in the park with two young boys, presumably her sons. Other adult family members, including four men, were off to the side watching. What made the scene unusual was that the woman was wearing a sheer bodysuit and no jacket. A strange amber-brown color in the same offbeat register as the colors later in my dream. She had a tremendous figure, including an absolutely perfect, voluptuous ass, which the bodysuit, of course, revealed as if she were fully nude. Gorgeous, but lewd. I'm completely uh, enthralled to this female body part. I make no apology for it. Um, And to my (laughs) surprise, I got a sudden, spontaneous, iron-hard erection, like a high school kid. I was taken aback, and it took me a moment to get the whole scene back in focus again. And when I did... I saw that one of the men in the group had a very blatant bulge in his pants, too. Odd sense of conflict, discord. Two adult men had obvious hard-ons watching a woman who I think was, by any standards, pushing the envelope for appropriate dress, playing with two little boys who were in fact her sons. I did find that out as they were talking. The peculiar color of the skin-tight body leotard seemed to express the psychological disjunction. You don't see that shade of copper very often in clothing, perhaps only on cars, but even then you notice it. In turning back to record the dream, I began to wonder who the other aroused male was—her husband, a partner, an in-law, a friend—I realized that I glimpsed a more complex sociology than I could grasp in the moment.
0: What color was the woman?
1: Skin color, white. Mm-hmm. White, Despite okay. Latino, but okay. mainly white. On the edge, mixed race, but I think it, I think you'd say white. But you'd Mm -hmm. certainly say that the outfit was a weird, odd copper. It it coated as as black to me. Oh, well, that would have, I think that would have made a clear, I I think that would have, I I would have certainly, well, her figure was,
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: think you wanted to say get a booty. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you'd you'd say that she was uh, a white woman uh, with a mixed race body shape of a particularly voluptuous kind. I wonder if this kind of psychosocial confusion gives rise, so to speak, to much of our dreaming, even if the forms it takes aren't clear, maybe because of that lack of clarity. I think that could be an insight into the nature of dreaming and not all dreams, not all dreams, of course, of course not. Right. But I wonder if I got an overload of sociology at a glance that I was suddenly party to, uh, in a way that was very intrusive. I felt. I mean, I just, uh, I I really felt like I, you know, she was pushing the complete envelope, and and playing with her two young sons. It was it was very intense. So yeah.
0: I feel like sometimes
1: these downloads are not, uh, friendly. Yeah. That's the way I think. Thank you. That's kind of say more about that because that, that helps. Well,
0: because you know, you have the physiological response and anytime there's that intense physiological response, it's entering into the realm of smell and taste and animal, you know? Um, And that is not always a pleasant place to be. Dream, for the most part, is filtered through a metaphor. And we are speaking in metaphor. We're being uh, uh, spoken to through metaphor. Mm. And I think that occasionally, in order to kind of update the operating system, for lack of a better metaphor, we get these intense physical downloads that are not pleasant in the same way that an ayahuasca trip is not pleasant right so this is uh, like this is the flip side of the coin <clears throat> this woman in the uh skin tight bodysuit is like the flip side of the coin to the ayahuasca trip where it is so material so physical and so intensely those things uh that you don't necessarily enjoy the um the experience but it's a legend it's a key
1: yes to other things that are going on very very well said i think it was just i mean what someone else might say is too much information you know it Mm -hmm. was just Mm -hmm. like i mean it was really all of her body parts just really pushed forward into the world yeah in in a way that was and I think that would have been a conflict if she'd just been walking around on her own. But as mm-hmm. you can imagine with two young boys, kids, yeah. this was yeah. really just not,
0: it's really, it's bringing the fertility aspect yes. into, into sharp relief. Um, I think those are important though. You know, I mean, they happen to all of us and for men in particular, It might be more common for those to happen in the way that you experienced in the form of a kind of voluptuous, sexy woman, Uh, because it's a it's a physical language that we immediately understand. And so a lot can be encoded on that, Mm. that uh, we don't we don't need metaphor to understand certain things. Well it's we kind of it.
1: like the rongo rongo of, of, yeah. of our street. Exactly. Our exactly. They're speaking it directly. It's it it cuts through metaphor. It's ghost yeah. radio it's signal. It's emblematic. Yeah. Yes, it's emblematic. It's just mm-hmm. and we get it instantly, even if it's overloading our system. And this is only one kind of overload. I mean, the sexual mm-hmm. aspect of it is is obviously very uh you know potent. Uh but that's not necessarily the only, you know, kind of confusion that we can be hit with. And we, mm-hmm. we do respond to it. We're just not, well, what we're trying to do, I think in, in this, in the in Lost Explorers context is help people find a new vocabulary for mm-hmm. the strange mm-hmm. psychic experiences mm-hmm. that are just off the map of mm-hmm. ordinary uh, experience, but, with, but which we're all vulnerable to and dealing with we're processing it. We're just not maybe processing it to great effect and a little bit more effectiveness and a little bit more contentment with being able to receive those signals. Absolutely. All
0: right. Cool episode.
1: Yeah. Thanks everyone. Be safe. Stay, stay dry. It's pouring down rain here.